0: Take your Bible, uh, take your Bible if you would, and turn with me to Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1. Uh, as you're turning there, we start a new series uh, this, uh, this weekend, Depression, uh, The Struggle's Real. Most of your translations, if you look at your Bible, you read through it, most of your translations don't have literally the word depression uh, in there. Uh, they might have similar words that, that help to just categorize or describe the real experiences of people in God's Word. Uh, words like downcast, brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, mourning. Just to name a few of the ones that, again, similar in the family of emotions or of, uh, things that are going on in, in individuals' lives that we see described in Scripture. Influential men and women of faith who went through periods where they struggled and they battled with what has been described, one writer said, the dark night of the soul. We understand what that looks like as we look at people in Scripture, great men uh, of faith like Job or David or Elijah or Jeremiah or Jonah even that went through these difficult times. And I don't know if they would, if you had a, you, you, we don't really know exactly what was going on. It's not like we were able to talk to them ourselves. We just see what their experiences were, and we see how those experiences were described and what was going on uh, in them. So I don't know if uh, you know healthcare professionals or mental health professionals looking at their lives uh, can ascertain exactly were they actually depressed or was there something else going on. We can't really know that, but we know from their experience. That there are things going on in the lives of people of faith in Scripture, and we can identify with those things. Over the next few weeks, we want to look at some of those experiences. Experiences that all of us at one point or another have in our lives. Experiences where uh, it might be, you know, something that, some form of uh, depression or some struggle that we are, that we're in. It's just a part of the human experience. That struggle is real, that struggle or forms of it is something that all of us, at some point or another, in our lives go through. Now, I want you to say up front that this series of the next few weeks is no uh, substitute for what, uh, in some of your cases, depending on what's going on in your life, where you might need professional help. And I would just encourage you uh, not to look at this series as something that would replace that, but be in addition to uh, some of you might be going through what would maybe be categorized as a sense of intense sadness as depression is, you know, characterized. Maybe feelings of helpless or hopelessness or worthless or, or you, you the, in those, in those feelings extend beyond just a, a momentary thing but go into days or even weeks where you might even summarize it by you struggle to even live your life as a result of what's going on. And I would encourage you today, if that's you or some form of what you're experiencing, to get some professional help. I would encourage you to maybe talk to your primary care doctor; or maybe a good place to start. Tell them what's going on, and they can uh, give you some suggestions on what uh, might be helpful to you. Uh, also, this week I saw I think it was in the paper where uh, here in Michigan you can dial nine eight eight, and there are uh, professionals in this in this realm where Michigan residents that are experiencing. Uh, health, mental health crisis of some kind can get help. There's a person at the end of that uh, of that of that call. So if you need help, or you know someone that you know, dialing 988 uh, is a is a is a resource I would encourage you to get uh, or look into. Uh, another thing I would encourage you maybe you need to go to a counselor. I would encourage you to do that. That's uh, just a great thing that can can help uh, if you're sh- struggling in some way uh, with feelings of, of depression. Uh, we have a great relationship with Southwest Medical Christian Counseling Center. And if you tell them you're a part of First Church, you get the first two couple counseling sessions for free. encourage you maybe to, to take advantage of that. One thing that we offer here at First Church is uh, a group of lay people that are trained. They're called Stephen Ministers. They go through hours and hours and hours of training. Some of them are in this room. Uh, and they would love to, they're not professional counselors, but they are people just like yourselves that have been trained to walk alongside you if you're going through some difficulty, some struggle in life, some, uh, some, some dark you know, night of the soul type of experience. Uh, they are trained. They would love to, uh, to walk alongside you. You can uh, get information at the Info Hub. You can email us through our, our website. You can call the church office through the week, ask for Pastor Bill, or just ask for ministry, or this ministry called Stephen Ministry, uh, and we'd love to help you uh, know about that. As we think about what we're going to talk about today, I love as we look at Scripture that it's real. Doesn't candy coat life? Scripture doesn't tell us that if you serve God, then if you put your faith in Christ, then all your worries, all your troubles in this life are over. That's not what Scripture relates to us. Scripture is real. Scripture helps us to see the the intense struggles that, that all of us in this life go through. We see that in Job. He's a classic example, an extreme example that for millennia, God has used the story of Job to help draw us draw empathy from, to find inspiration in his story, to find practical, practical application in his story. And that's what we want to pray that through this series that we'll find those things in Job's story. So, let's jump into chapter 1. And we're going to start by just looking at Job chapter 1 and the, the cast of characters in this first chapter. And of course, there's Job and But we also have Satan and God are all in this first chapter. We're going to start with first with Job and look at Job. And so here we are, Job chapter 1, verse 1. encourage you to follow along with me. Here we go. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Scripture as it describes Job, Scripture has really good things to say about Job. Uh, and we don't see, you know, negative things about Job. This is super positive. Uh, blameless. And that doesn't mean he's sinless. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is the only sinless one that walked this earth, but he's, he's blameless. He's a man of integrity, in other words. He's a man that's devoted to God. It says that he feared God, and fear has a, a lot more positive connotations in, in the original language than it does in our culture. And so, think of the, the positives of that. And so, it's, it's really talking about he has this deep, healthy respect for God. Fear through Scripture is often synonymous with wisdom, that those who are wise have this healthy respect, healthy uh, relationship with God. And it says that he, he feared God. He, he was blameless. It says that he turned from evil, so he didn't do what was wrong, he did what was right, so he even turned away from evil. Scripture describes, goes on to describe his possessions in verse 2. There was born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. This thing is interesting that they just included how many female donkeys he had. I don't know what that means. Uh, somebody needs to look that up and tell me what you find out. I have no idea. And very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. So, in other words, he's got 10 kids and lots and lots of stuff. Imagine just the servants that you would need, the employees that you would need to care for all that livestock. And then Scripture summarizes Job's life, and what does it say of him? The greatest of all the peoples of the East. His integrity, his family, his wealth. Job had it all. In verse 4, it says that his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, probably birthday. And they would send and, and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the day of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus uh, Job did continually. So, not only is he a good guy, not only is he blameless, not only is he a man of integrity, not only does he not just do what is uh, right, but he doesn't do what's wrong, but in addition to that, he's a family man, and he he cares about the spiritual well-being of his family. And he prays for them, and he offers sacrifices for them, that idea that as they, the more they feast, basically go out and party, the more they feast, the more he fasts, and he prays for them and makes intercession for them with God. Job was a godly man, and Job was experiencing the blessings of God. And into that, we see the second member of the cast in this first chapter, and that's God. God, Scripture says, and it's really interesting, this next part of Scripture, because there's an interesting exchange between God and Satan. And just note, it's important to kind of get the context. Job never, we never get any indication that he ever understands or gets the memo that God and Satan have been talking, that there is this, this council, this discussion that they have. We don't see that, that Job ever uh, hears about that. And we see in verse 6, as we think about God, look at what it says to us about God. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come Satan, of course he knows, but Satan answers the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you, you've blessed the work of his hands and the possessions, his possessions have increased in the land. But you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. In other words, you take away what he has, what you've blessed him with, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So here they are, and God is presiding over this heavenly council. It says that the sons of God, that's just another way to describe angels. We see in other parts of Scripture, they're talking about angels, they're described as the sons of God. So the sons of God were there in attendance. Satan is there in attendance. God presiding over this council, and it just brings in this third member of the cast, which is Satan. And it says Satan has been roaming around the earth, going to and fro up and down the earth. It's reminiscent of what Peter describes of Satan in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. It says that he's like a, he's a, like a lion, a prowling lion looking whom, around the earth uh, about who, who, whom he may devour, just prowling around. I wonder if the interaction that we see here with Satan and this interaction here in this chapter is what maybe Peter is thinking about when he writes that description of Satan and so God is there in this heavenly council and he's bragging he starts bragging on Job and he repeats what we learned earlier and we see it that he's blameless that he's upright that he fears God and he turns away from evil and then Satan this next character in the cast Satan just relates his cynical take on humanity his cynical take on Job and his goodness Job's your faithful follower because of what you do for him Job, Job uh, worships you because of the wealth you've given him. If you take that wealth away, the moment you take it away, the moment you take your hand of blessing and th- this hedge of protection that you have around him, that's the moment that he curses you. That's the moment that he stops serving you and worshiping you. In short, Satan is saying Job's worship of you is based on his experience of you, with you, not his theology of you. So his worship of you, his love of you, is based on his experience with you, not his theology of you. He worships you because you bless him. He doesn't worship you because of his theology about your sovereignty and about who you are. And haven't we all seen that? Maybe we've all experienced it. Probably have. The moment that that the hand of God's blessing is removed, the moment that something happens that is a struggle for us, the moment that the prayer doesn't get answered the way we think, we doubt God and maybe to the point that we curse God. Satan knows humanity pretty well. It's really a, a great series of interactions between him and God. And so he knows humanity really well. Does he know Job well? Satan's summary Is that he's going to curse God. If the blessings stop, and that might describe many people in our world, it might describe many people in Job's world. The question is, does it describe Job? And it's always good as we look at Scripture, we read Scripture, we study Scripture, it's always good to let it inform us, to let it teach us, to let it, in this case, challenge us. So I think the, the important question that we need to ask is, in our own lives, is that indicative of us? Does that describe us? That when God, uh, if we have a sense that God has taken his hand away from us, if we get a sense that God has, is not blessing us like we would like, if he's not answering our prayers like we would like, do we, like Satan relates, well, the moment that happens is the moment that he's going to curse you. Is that the moment that we get sideways with God? The moment he doesn't do what we think that he should? Do I get upset with God when he doesn't do for me what I think that he should, or maybe in the time frame that I think that he should? So, in other words, here's a a way to put it, a, a way to evaluate it. Does my experience trump my theology, or does my theology trump my experience? That's something that we should consider today. Let's go back to what happens next. And what happens next, we, we, we see the cast of characters. And let's talk about now the tragedy as, as Satan is, is let loose with some limitations. As we think about the tragedy, there are limitations that God puts on him. You see that in verse 12, that, that God said you can, you, can, you, can have, you can have some freedom there, but you can't touch him. You can't touch Job himself. You can't touch Job physically. There were limits that God put on him it's important as we think about it to keep our perspective on who really is in authority. And we see that played out here. And so there were limits in place. Satan has his leash in place. And we see then as he goes out, he orchestrates the destruction of Job and his life and what he loved and who he loved. And we'll see that in just a moment. And what we'll also see is that this is what sparks Job's depression, what sparks this this dark night of the soul that we will see through the rest of These next 42 chapters, 41 and 42 chapters of Job, we'll see the struggle that he has. And so let's look at what happened. Let's look at the tragedy, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell among the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And so we read into Job's life comes this unimaginable chaos and destruction. This week, as we've watched what? Has transpired in Florida. We see as we watch interviews of people who stand in front of what this, this flattened area with just stuff all around broken and mangled boards and wood and trees, and we see people who are interviewed talking about how they lost everything. Or maybe even someone that stands there and they're interviewed talking about the person that they lost in the traumatic experience of the Hurricane Ian that came through. Tragedy upon tragedy. And so we get a visual as we watch the news of what Job in this passage is experiencing. He's lost everything that he loves. He's lost the oxen and the donkey and the crops and the sheep and untold numbers of servants and camels, all the things he held dear. And we also see at the end of that tragic series of events even the people that he holds dear. And on some level... Maybe not exactly what Job experienced, but all of us on some level understand Job. We've all experienced loss like Job. Life is good one minute, and then in the next moment, instantly things change. The perfect home, and then fire destroys it. The perfect job, and then we've lost it. The perfect life, and then it's turned upside down. The, in perfect health, and then we get the test results. In an instant, the nightmare begins. And we get that feeling that it's just impossible to wake up from these feelings that we're experiencing. And it's one thing for us to lose stuff. It's another thing to lose the people that we love. And I know that some of you, that's your journey. The grief at times almost unbearable. And so there's the tragedy that on some level we all can identify with. And then we see finally the response. The final part of the story in this, the last part of this first chapter, Job's, Job's response to it all in verse 20, and Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Now in Job, his response, that's, that's indicative of what we see throughout Scripture in different places, that, that, that outward Expression of what was going on internally, of tearing of the clothes or, uh, or shaving a head or pulling out one's beard. We see that through Scripture. We see it in Joshua and the Israelite elders after a humiliating defeat. We see it in Japheth when he makes this boneheaded decision that was going to result in the, the loss of his daughter's life. He, he, he rips his clothes. David and his shol- soldiers do the same thing when they get the report that Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle we see it in Ezra the scribe when he learns about the horrific disobedience of God's people. He rips his robes, and he says he, he rips out his beard. Again, an outward expression that, that, that just paints for us the picture of what it looks like on the inside. What's going on on the inside? The, on the inside, my life is being ripped apart, and so on the outside, there's this physical expression. And we may not rip our, 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 our clothes, but we we weep, and we cry, and there's other outward expressions that we have in that grief. I'm sure you've heard about the, the protests that have been going on in Iran. There was a, you know, the morality police had detained this woman, something to do with her headscarf or her head covering or whatever, and she died in their custody. And so, there were all across the uh, Iran, there were these protests uh, about what happened by the morality police of this, this woman. And now, Others, other women, I think some 40, some odd, maybe up to 70, depending on who you talk to or who you listen to, have now died in some of those protests. And there was a picture this week of a young girl who was standing beside her mother's grave, her mother being one that had died in those, who was killed in one of those protests. And she was standing there with her headscarf off, and she was standing next to her mother's grave, grieving, holding her hair hair where she had shaved her head, holding her hair in her grief. And so we see it in our world. We see it in what Job is, what scripture is relating that Job is experiencing this grief. And we we see in that grief that 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 scripture says that he falls on the ground and he worships. John 10 10 says Satan's purpose is to steal to kill and destroy. He's hoping that 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 Job would curse God. That's what we see in verse 11. You go back to verse 11, you can see that. That he's got this plan that I'm going to I'm going to take everything that Job that, that are these blessings from God. I'm going to if I take them away because that's the only reason that 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 Job serves God or worships God or or loves God is because of what God does for him. And so when those things are taken away, then he's going to curse God and that's his plan. And now, as he's working that plan, we see Job is experiencing what Satan has done. Job's life is suddenly, violently now falling apart. Satan has dismantled in his life everything good. His wealth is gone. His possessions stolen or destroyed. His loved ones taken away from him. His joy turned to grief. And for Satan, his plan is working to perfection. But the best part is to come. The best part is when when Job, in his mind, this is what's going to happen when he takes it all away, that that Job's going to curse God in that moment because because he knows humanity after he's dismantled everything that's good. And now that he has dismantled what Job loves, he's now going to get to see Job's faith fall apart. He's going to get to see Job turn his back on God. In his grief and his anger, he's gonna to get to see Job curse God. And so can you imagine uh, uh, Satan as he's as he's 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 moving toward this climactic point where he's taken everything away from Job, and now Job rips his clothes, he shaves his head, and now as he leans forward for that final moment where now he's gonna do what he believes all along he's gonna do, he's gonna curse God. And what does Scripture say? First chapter one, verse 20. He arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head. And he fell on the ground and worshipped. Instead of cursing, instead of cursing God, he worships God. He makes the conscious decision in his pain, in his turmoil, in those feelings that are, that are so fresh, in the struggle, and the heartache, he chooses to put his hope in God and he worships. It reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He said, uh, he said, he said, Grieve, but, but, but have hope in your grief. Do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And Job continues, even in his grief, to have hope. And he has hope as, as he falls on the ground and he worships God. And as he does that, he's grieving. And he then says what are powerful words that express his faithfulness. Listen to what he says in verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job's passed the test. Instead of cursing God, he continues to worship God. He continues to respond, to live by faith, graciously accepting, we see it in what he says, graciously accepting what has been taken away from him, graciously accepting what life has thrown at him. And he chooses to faithfully worship. Again, the powerful summary of his response in all that he did, Job didn't sin or charge God with wrong. So in the, just a few minutes that we have left, Let's think about our own experience and what we need to apply from Job's life into ours, into our experience. As we think about our own seasons of the dark nights of the soul that we walk through, that we struggle with, and all of our grief, all of our, uh, all the things that we go through, that, that pain is, is, is local and, and, and we're not comparing it to other people. We all will experience it. And so in those moments that we experience that pain, however acute or long-lasting, whatever it is, how, what will we do with it? In the midst of our pain, to be reminded that we're not alone, the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And so as you are in your struggle or pain or whatever you, wherever you are at, if it's a dark night of the soul, what's the application today? Well, the first thing I think that we need to get from what Job in this first chapter is teaching us is that we need to remember that God's in control. That that in the midst of it, in this first chapter, that ultimately God has the power and has the authority. He has the authority to limit Satan. As Satan has come and his agenda, and we know again from the New Testament, we see it here played out: his agenda is to steal, to kill, and destroy. We have an adversary, we have an enemy. And today, as we sit here and as we think about and we process all of this, we can choose to, as we think about the fact that God's in control of this world, we can choose to let that perplex us and distress us, or we can choose to allow the fact that God is in control of this world to console and comfort us. And today, I would encourage you to allow that fact that God is ultimately in control of this world To comfort you. The second thing that I would say as we look at Job's experience and we apply it into our own lives is to seek to understand the primary motivation for our worship of God. Satan looks at Job and he says, you know, the reason that he's serving you, talking to God, the reason that he loves you, the reason he worships you is because of what you do for him. The moment that you stop doing for him, the moment you remove that protection from him is the moment that he's going to curse you. As long as you're actively blessing Job, sure, he's going to continue to worship you. But when those blessings dry up, the curses will start. And friend, I would just say to you, the dark night of the soul, if you're not in it, it's coming at some point. And to get ready. And so what will you do in that moment that you feel that you sense, that you, when you put it all together, the conclusion that you come to is that, that God isn't blessing you or he's taken his blessing away or the answers aren't coming like you would like them to, in that moment, what will you do? And Job chooses, as he is experiencing those feelings of despair and depression and, and all the anxiety around that loss in the fog of grief where there is no clarity on the why the answer to the why question, why is this happening to me? In response, he's faithful. In response to his grief. As he takes the appropriate cultural steps and he, as, he, as, he, as he grieves, as he rips his clothes and he shaves his head. And that, was, that was appropriate in their culture. That's exactly what is an appropriate response. But then he falls on his knees and he worships. He chooses to be faithful. He chooses to be faithful and to worship. And so, as we think about that, is our primary motivator for our worship God's hand or God's faith or His face? His hand or is His face the primary motivator for our worship? And then the third thing that I would say to us as we're, the way of application is to choose faithfulness in the face of the unanswered questions. We see, as I said, gr- that he grieves. And there's nothing wrong with grieving. We should grieve. We just need to grieve like the rest of, don't need to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We have hope. We see throughout Scripture people grieving and people having questions of God and, and people having real conversations with God. Uh, all of that is okay. But then to choose in the, You know, even when we don't have the answers to the why questions, and we'll get to that because Job asks a lot of questions, and he processes all of that, and he asks that questions, and he struggles, and we'll see in subsequent chapters all of that. But do you and I have to have all the answers to all the questions before we can choose faithfulness? Will my experience—and here's the key thing to consider—will my experience triumph over my theology? Or will my my theology triumph over my experience? Will I choose to trust God in the face of my pain? And with Job, say by faith, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As our worship team comes back up, we're going to have a time where we have a the opportunity to worship our God as we process maybe what's going on in our own lives. And I would just invite you to consider the Apostle Paul who was languishing in a prison, knowing that his own death was imminent. And he writes this in his letter to young Timothy. He says, "'That is why I'm suffering here in prison, "'but I'm not ashamed of it, "'for I know the one whom I trust.'" And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to you, trusted to him until the day of his return. So what Paul is saying as he writes to Timothy, as he knows his own death is coming, and if you read Paul's, Paul's life, there are so many struggles and so many you know, times when he had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his own death, as, they, as he almost died on a number of occasions. But in that suffering, he chose hope. He chose to to walk by faith, just believing that his Savior was going to come and take him to be home, take him home to be with him. Or what about the, the affirmation that he gives the church at Philippi when he writes in Philippians 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. That he's near the brokenhearted that he's here today, that he's brought you here to remind you that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's with you in your suffering. And as Paul says, I'm sure of this, that God will, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion on that day. Because it's on, it's on that day when Christ returned. It's heaven where the, 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 where the struggle is, is finished. It's in heaven where the, the tears are wiped away. This is not heaven. And until that time, friends, there will be struggle and there will be heartache and there will be dark nights of the soul. So in those moments, will our theology trump our experience? Or will we allow our experience, what we're going through, to trump our theology? Our Savior's coming again. As we put our trust in Him, He's going to take us to be with Him. So today, we're going to have a time of, of worship in a time of of communion, and in communion, as we think about the cup and the bread, the cup that represents the, the the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, and so as we as we prepare our own hearts, as we consider our own lives, and we think about as we as we hold the the, the life of Jesus and that represents Jesus in our hands, as we as we think about that, if we're here in the room, I encourage you if you're if you're not here to to get something to take communion with us. If you're join us uh, by way of uh, video or, or uh, on on radio, but just to take Jesus. And to remember what Jesus did, that Jesus was acquainted with sorrows, that he, he went through it, and he was rejected, and he was betrayed, and he experienced loss and brokenness and all of that. And he is the one that is here with us today. And he won't put on you more than you can bear. Will you allow your theology today to, to trump your experience? As we take communion today, and if you don't have the communion elements, we've got some people that have communion baskets, they can walk around. You can look at them. They'll give you the elements if you didn't, if you missed it when you came in. I encourage you to take, take, take the communion with us today and you can look at them and they'll give it to you. But as you're preparing yourself, just know too, if there's some struggle that you have, we've got some prayer partners that are here in the room. They've got lanyards on and they'll be at some of the corners. And if you, you know, sometimes we just need someone to pray with us. We're going through a dark night of the soul and you just need somebody to talk with you about that and to pray with you. Uh, we, we have some people that would love to pray with you, whatever you're going through today. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to have a time of worship, and you can move, and there'll be people that can pray with you, and we'll worship together. God, thank you for the bread that represents the body of Christ. Thank you for the cup that represents the, the, the blood of Christ that was given for us. And God, today, as we go through difficulty, we go through times of and struggle and anxiety and all those things. God, we've come and we choose today to, to get on our knees and just to worship you, to thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done for us through Christ. And God, we need you. We need your presence. And I pray that you would help us, God, to experience your presence now. And God, if we need prayer, I pray that you'd help us to have the courage to move and to let someone pray with us. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this space. And now with Job, we choose faithfulness, And we choose to worship you. In the name of Christ we pray.